The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Good morning and welcome to Overland Park Community Church. Good to see you here today. I would encourage you to uh, take your Bibles out and turn to Nehemiah or get your version app um, out and, and begin to follow along there or the bulletin where wherever you desire. Certainly, we're going to look at some scripture that if you're not using version, it's not all in the bulletin today. Uh, but there are some important announcements in there, uh, membership, a new members gathering where we'll just meet together, hang out, and answer any questions you may have about um, the, the ministry and mission of Overland Park Community Church. So I encourage you to be a part of that. There's a men's event coming up. Lots of things um, to kind of be aware of that are going on in the midst of the body of Overland Park Community Church. So certainly take the time uh, to get in, engaged in that. Man, um, so worship, your worship pastor is supposed to like get you primed and ready to preach the word. Like he wore me out today. <laughs> like it was good. I was just in the moment I was singing at the top of my lungs. I said, man, I got i got to cut back here. I've got to speak for a few minutes. And so, uh, great job uh, to Brent. Glad that he is back. I, I love game changers. Um, a game-changing moment is, is so cool. And so, game-changing things are, are very cool. Things that just can kind of shift something. I uh, was, uh, you know, hunting season's over, so let me work an illustration in from it. I was, uh, I, I filmed my hunts, and so I have this, this camera bar it comes across the bottom side and my camera mounts on it and it'll bend around the tree and sometimes it gets in really awkward positions. And, and so a guy I, I made through just kind of um, accidentally made a connection with a guy who's working on a, on a prototype. He's designing a new camera arm that mounts over your head and it hangs down and it goes around this way. I know this is so important to all of you guys, but, uh, and so, and it'll do 360 degrees, man, and you can pull it around this way and you can spin the camera around. It's got the monitor there. And so like, it's really cool piece of equipment. So he asked me about, you know, what, what do you think about this? And I said, well, I, you know, I don't know how heavy it is. I, I obviously have to try one out before I could tell you really what I thought about it. Uh, but, but I told him, I said, I think it could be a game changer. Like, it could be a game changer in the film industry just because of what you can do, and it's out of the way. Um, recently, uh, we were playing, uh, I coached Jonah's basketball team, seventh graders, and, and, and so we, ha- we have a good team this year. You know, we, we're uh, number one in our division. <laughs> and so we, we, are, we had a game uh, uh, last uh, couple weeks ago, and so the guys, man, the, this team was like, they was giving us a run for our money. They were staying right with us, and we were used to blowing people out. And so we couldn't, like, couldn't get any gaps between the, them and us. And so um, in the beginning of the second half, I said, all right, boys, when I call out seven, you're going to go into a full-court zone press. And so we started, just like the whole game was going on, man, they, they made a basket, and, and the second half had started, they made a basket, and I screamed out, seven! And, man, the boys just went, Phew. they all went to their position, and we forced like three turnovers in a row. We, we got away from them, we held a 10-point lead, and just kept moving on. It was a game-changing moment. And so game, and like, I'm an unbelievable coach, right? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, thank God this is my last year with them. They, they need more development than I can give them. But, but it's a game-changing moment, and game-changers um, have, have the ability just to shift things for us. And, and when your life intersects with divine um, vision and you, you go on mission to accomplish 
things for the kingdom, you basically are going to be able to accomplish things that are beyond human possibility. Now, that's what the supernatural is all about, is like God breathes a vision into our lives, and, and he has a plan for us in this, this time of uh, Nehemiah. He had grown up with the prophet Jeremiah, had prophesied earlier, and so it was kind of the thing that was trending among the, the Israelites about the vision that God had for them, and, and they were like scattered abroad, you know, they were in exile. And Jeremiah prophesied, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And so they, they had this idea that God had a plan for them, and he goes on in the prophecy in that same chapter to talk about he will gather them up as they turn to him. And so they had this hope that he would, he would do this miraculous work in their, their lives in the nation of Israel. And the timeless principle for us is that we are God's people. And, and this prophecy, though it pertains specifically to the nation of Israel and, and bringing them back to their homeland, we are God's people when we meet Jesus. And he has a plan for us. And he has a plan to prosper and not harm us, a plan to give us a hope and a future. And so when we, get, we begin to see that. We go, man, God has a plan for me specifically. And only I can fulfill that plan because I am the only me on the planet. And when, when, when my particular unique self, the soul that God created, um, lines up with the divine vision that he has for my life, then I, I have this supernatural ability to accomplish things that are beyond what I can accomplish apart from him. And that's exciting when we start to think about it. It's a man that God wants to do something incredible like that in our lives. And so when you step into that, opposition is part of it. Hey, like when you step into that mission, there's going to be opposition all around you. It's just a new normal that you come to know of. Uh, the book of Ephesians tells us that we wrestle not against a flesh and blood. It's not the physical even though the physical, it'll, it'll, take, it'll take shape in the physical realm, it is often influenced by the spiritual realm, by forces of wickedness and, and you know, heavenly or spiritual places that are manipulating people that, that bring about opposition in our lives. And so it's just a new normal. Like, I remember uh, when I started in ministry early on and was, man, go through something difficult and I just kept telling myself in my mind, well, we'll make it through this part and then it'll be okay. And then we'll make it in through this part and it'll be okay. And I remember having a conversation with Abby one, one evening and I, and I said, you know what? I think it's always going to be like this. It's just always going to be a war. It's always going to be a battle. There's never going to be a time where it's just smooth sailing. And, and Tony Evans is, is a great preacher, and he talks about when you become a follower of Jesus, uh, you enter a battleground, not a playground. And so if, if life is simple and there's no opposition for you as you're trying to advance the kingdom agenda in your life, then, then you're, not, you're not really doing it. Because it is not a playground, and it is not smooth sailing. Anytime you're trying to advance for the Lord Jesus Christ, it, it is a war. and You will experience opposition all around you. And so today, when we look at Nehemiah in chapter 6, the first 16 verses, um, Nehemiah teaches us about a game-changing event. And I'm excited to share this, this message with you today because I think it has the ability, like, like it, this is what it's about. Like, when we, when we are redeemed... 
followers of Jesus and our souls are transformed, this, this what I'm gonna share with you today, this is what it's about. Like this is, this is the, the, the joy and the adventure of, of what God wants to do in our lives. And so I hope you will really tune in, but let, let's, let's look in um, chapter six, beginning in verse one, and let me just kind of take you through it and share a few takeaways and then, and then really give you what I think is just, man, I mean, if you get it, it will be a game changer for you. So it says in um, verse six, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and a, not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. So Nehemiah, he's there, man. He's got it all done. The only thing that has to be done is they, they take the doors that they built and they hang them on the gates and the project is complete. And so he's there, and, and, and all of a sudden he, he hears from Sanballat and Geshem, they sent, them, sent, him, sent me this message, come let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Now this was about 20 miles away. And so we're thinking about opposition. The opposition will always try to get us away from the mission at hand. Because when that happens, we become vulnerable. And so Nehemiah says, but they were scheming to harm me. And so I go, how do you know that? <laughs> they said, they said, well, they were opposed him the whole time. Yeah, but now he's finished. So what are they going to oppose? One might even come to the belief that, hey, maybe they're sending a message that they want to become allies because now they know the project's going to happen. So maybe now they're just coming late to the party and, and they want to join the party. But somehow Nehemiah knew um, and he said they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with, with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? And so he says, I, I'm doing something great for the Lord is basically what he says. Now I don't have time to do that. I'm sorry, fellas, but I am busy right now focused on the Lord. Now watch what happens in verse four. Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. You see, the enemy is relentless. As you start to get focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and say, man, I'm, I'm gonna grow. Like 2017 is my year to take off and grow spiritually. You will face opposition and just because you um, say no to the opposition once, you, you just better expect that it. it's coming back a second time, a third time, a fourth time. It just keeps on coming. And then it says, and, and, and remember, we, we've been in this series a while. Remember, he's already faced tremendous opposition externally from the people on the outside and internally from um, the morale of the people having to get them encouraged. So it's just gone on through the entire project for him. And so, but, but, but look what the opposition does after he, he pushes away and says, four times I just gave him the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aide to me with the same message and in his hands was an unsealed letter in which was written, okay? There's a letter, like you seal your letters unless you want other people to read them, right? Well, this one was unsealed. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us confer together. 
So they take, basically, they post it on, if it was social media, they post it on their, their, their page or their, their, their news feeds. Hey, this guy who's building this wall, you guys need to know, he's just trying to set up a kingdom for himself. He's already appointed prophets all over the city of uh, Jerusalem, and they are going to proclaim him king as soon as he gets these doors hung on, these, on this wall. And, and he's trying to be king. And, 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 and Nehemiah, this is going around. This word is going around about you. And, and it's going to make it back to King Artaxerxes. And when he hears about this, man, you are going to be in trouble. Now, come on, Nehemiah, meet with us, and let's figure out uh, a damage control strategy about how we can deal with these false accusations that are being made against you. And so our rumors are flying everywhere. Sometimes you're going to face that kind of stuff that happened in your life. Sometimes you're going to face somebody is saying things about you. Maybe somebody, uh, you're trying to do the best that you can and reflect Christ in, the, in, in maybe some school activity with your kids, and all of a sudden, um, there's an evil mom out there, right? They're out there, and they say something about you. And they begin to, maybe even somebody in the church says something about you. They, they're, they're, they're opposing what you're doing. Look, listen, you, here's what you do. You Nehemiah 6.8 them, okay? Look at what Nehemiah 6.8 says. He says, man, these words, these, all this stuff is going on about you. I sent them this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. It is a figment of your imagination. And sometimes that's the best reply that you can give to somebody who is, they're just thinking crazy stuff. And so it would be easy, like, let me just say this, okay? If I was a political advisor right now, I would tell Donald Trump, you need to Nehemiah 6-8 people. Quit telling everybody it's fake news. Just forget about it, man. Just go on because you're just making a mess for yourself. And that's what we do the same thing. What you see happening in our president like, why is he even concerned about what's, like, why even go there? Why not just set the agenda for our country and move on? I'll tell you why. He's a human being just like us. And the same reason, like, when somebody says something about us, you know what we immediately want to do? We want to defend ourselves. But when we're following the Lord and we know that he has our backs, we can do what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah 6, 8, just move on. If you know it is being made up and you know that you're on mission for God, then just forget about the whole thing and keep focused on what God has asked you to do. And as you do that, you'll see the hand of God moving in your life. And so this is what Nehemiah does. He says, listen, uh, I sent them this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. And so, so the, Nehemiah realizes what they're trying to do is stir things up and make all of his team nervous, make him nervous, and for them to just get weakened in the whole process. So what does Nehemiah do? I love this part. He says, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. So here is a mess, like a, a, a public relations mess that Nehemiah has. And what does he pray? Does he pray, Lord, get me out of this mess? Nope. He doesn't pray for the Lord to get him out of the mess. He asks the Lord to strengthen him in the midst of the mess. Sometimes when we're in a mess, God can do some of his most incredible work by, by how we handle the messy situation, the painful situation, how difficult it is for us to navigate through it. And so Nehemiah responds and he says, Lord, um, they're doing this to try to weaken us 
please, I pray that you would strengthen my hands. What I see Nehemiah doing right here is praying for spiritual energy to do the work of the Lord. And that's, that's something for us to learn is that, hey, when we're facing opposition and we feel like everything's coming against us, then let's, let's, just, let's just focus on the Lord and believe that he has that which is necessary to strengthen us in the midst of the battle. And so we see, man, the opposition, it just keeps coming at him. Look at verse, so, so if we, he's, he's opposed, first of all, they're trying to distract him. Second of all, they come at him and say, hey, the, all this stuff is being reported about you. And then verse 10 says, one day, and, and chapter six is just really Nehemiah trying to give us a summary of what his life was like. It's kind of like his journal. So he says, one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mahadabel, who was shut in at his home. Did you, like, are y'all impressed at how I pronounce those? Because I don't know if it's right, but it sounds right to me. But I'll just throw that out to her. So he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors. Listen to this. Because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. Nehemiah, let's, listen. I found out there's some people that, like, the Lord is impressed upon my heart that some people are coming to kill you. Let us go to the temple. Let us hide in the temple because they won't find you there. You'll be safe in the temple. They'll never find you there. Let's go there and, and, and protect yourself, Nehemiah. They're coming at night. Oh, man. The boogeyman's coming. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. Now, this was important because in the book of Numbers, it is, um, it is uh, the, one of the commands of God is that a lay person was not to go into the temple. Only a priest could. Well, Nehemiah was not a priest. And so he knew the word and he knew that it would, he couldn't go in there. And even though um, he may have been frightened by the news that he got as the threat was coming on his life, he says this, uh, should a man like me run away or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized, it's very important, I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. You better look out if you're a leader. Like the devil's going to throw even people who, who seem like they're good people at you to try to sidetrack you, to try to get you off mission. This was a guy who was a, supposedly a prophet of God, but Nehemiah was so in tune with God, he, he recognizes it once again, and then he prays. Remember Tobiah and Sambalay, oh my God, because of what they have uh, done. Remember also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence. Why? Because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. I mean, come on, man. Nehemiah's like, hey, they finally gave up because they realized that God's hand was on my life and the mission of these, these people, the vision that God had breathed in to um, uh, Israel for this, this day and time, God was behind it. And so when God starts doing great things in your life, you always are going to face distractions. 
So you, you get fired up, and maybe this wall series has really been encouraging to you, and you've gotten fired up, and you're like, man, I, I'm going to get my life set on mission for God, and I'm going to do what God wants, to, wants me to do. There will be distractions that come your way, and you must be aware. And let me just give you three, just in summarizing these three major things that I see from, from the story of, of Nehemiah in chapter 6. Intriguing opportunities can distract us from divine vision. It's not always like a, what, what, what we might classify as, as a sin that is socially un, unacceptable that detracts us from the mission of God. Sometimes it's things that are not sinful at all outside of the fact that they just distract us from the mission that God has called to. Things can appear to be good and they will distract you. I remember whenever I first, um, when, when I made my commitment to the Lord and I felt, man, the Lord is calling me to do something great for him. And I, I surrendered my life to him. I was 22 years old and, and I, I was just, I was gobbling up the New Testament. I read the New Testament like five times in a month. I just could not believe what I was reading in there. It was just blowing me away. So I was just consuming it. And, and I, I got a hold of this book um, one Friday, and I was off on Fridays at the time. And I started reading it in the, I don't know, around 5 o'clock or so. And the book was called I Dare You. And it was a small book, but it was, it was probably going to be a three-hour read. Maybe not. I, I don't remember. But it, it, was, it, was a, you know, it was a smaller book that you could finish if you were committed to it. And so I'm, the book was called I Dare You, and in the midst of the very first part of it, after the author goes through and talks about um, uh, what a dare is, then he makes this dare. He says, I dare you to read and finish this book tonight. I was like, whoa, tonight? It's Friday. I said, all right. Like the Lord was moving. I felt my heart beating in the midst of this. I'm, I'm going I'm to read this book tonight. Now, at this time, I hadn't read a whole lot of books, so to complete any book was a big deal for me. And so I made the decision. I mean, guess what happens as I get into chapter 2? Now, I'm 22 years old. I'm a bachelor. It's Friday night. My buddies show up. Hey, let's go get something to eat and go to a movie. And I'm like, it's, it's Friday night. And I, I had this internal, like, what I do? And I, I remember consciously, like, it was a big deal for me. I made the decision. I said, no, I, I think I'm going to stay home tonight. And they, they, my one buddy's like, what? I was like, yeah, I'm going to stay home, and, and I'm reading this book. He thought I had lost my mind, okay? But I stayed home, and I completed that book. And it wasn't so much about the book as much as it was about the experience of I felt God calling me to read that book. And so rather than getting distracted and going and feeding my flesh, um, both like literally with food and with pleasure in the movie and the fellowship of other friends, I made the decision not to get distracted, but just to stay in the midst of it. And so th it, was, it was not a bad thing they were asking me to do. It was just something that, that uh, 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 just an intriguing opportunity that can come your way. Sometimes it can be an intriguing opportunity at work, a project that you're asked to manage, but it might take away totally from your family time. There's nothing bad about it except for the fact that you, maybe you make a decision that you're going to um, spend certain amount of time with your family doing certain things and then all of a sudden you commit to something else and it pulls you away from this vision that you feel that God has called you to. And so there can be all kinds of different things and activities that can distract us. And then the second thing we see in, in the story is innuendo can distract us from divine vision. 
When you start operating by vision, people will criticize you. Some will criticize you because they, don't, they feel worse about themselves because of the movement that is going on in your life. Sometimes they will criticize you and they don't even realize they're criticizing you. Sometimes they're navigating through a certain feeling that they feel and they will be critical about what it is that you're doing and they will begin to question your motives. And when we look at Nehemiah's case, he was accused of what he was striving not to do. Like he was, here's a guy who could have taken the governor's allowance. Remember that? We, we studied he could have taken all of this money, but he denied taking the governor's allowance, and, but he's accused of trying to do all of this to gain this position. And I'm going to tell you something. Whenever your motives are questioned and, and your heart is in the right place and somebody is critical about that, it hurts. Like it just hurts down deep because you're like, Man, don't you even understand what I'm trying to do here? Like my whole life is caught up in, in trying to, to do just exactly opposite of what you're saying. But, but you can't let that distract you and get you off mission. You can't, you can't give up. And the danger here is you can get so discouraged and depressed that you just give up on what God has asked you to do. And then the third thing we see is intimidation can distract us from divine vision. Nehemiah, he didn't let the fear distract him. Like, like that's a, man, when somebody threatens your life, that that's kind of like that's pretty scary stuff that's that's pretty serious to have a death threat well every vision always involves elements of the unknown and it's always scary you don't know how it's going to work out you don't know how like maybe the lord calls you to develop a, a a small group where people find connection and talk about the bible together and you're like well i don't know if anybody will come like every vision is like that there's never a vision that has been done for the Lord where you have all of the details filled in. There's, there's the unknown out there. It is scary, but you cannot let intimidation keep you from moving forward. And so we see these things. And the question that I, I, I just kept as I read this text, how did Nehemiah know how to handle these distractions? Like he, he's just writing away and he's like, this happened. And you go, man, that would stink, but this is what I did. And then this happened, but this is what I did. And then this happened, but this is what I did. Like, how did he know? Like, how did he know that those guys didn't want to meet with him to, to become allies? How did he know to, um, that they were just trying to weaken him uh, and that, there were, that, you know, that he didn't have to worry about the public relations nightmare that they said was out there? How did he know that this guy was falsely prophesying? Like, how did he know that? Well, one thing we know about Nehemiah is that he sat with and listened to the Lord. Like, every, like throughout the pages of this, this book that we have been studying, we just see over and over about how he prays. And so here, here's as we, as we land this thing, here's, here's where I want you to get today. I love to sit with the Lord. Like I love it. I, I have been sitting with the Lord since I, 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 I started my journey when I was 22, and I, I just love to sit with him. And I love to sit with the Lord because I love him. Like I just love Jesus, so I like to hang out with him. But that's not the only reason I sit with the Lord. I find that it is a very productive experience for me. Jesus said this in John chapter 15, verse 5. I am divine, you are are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me, you will bear fruit. 
So when I say that I love to sit with the Lord, it's what we call an abide time, sitting with the Lord, hearing from him, letting him speak to us, sitting in the word, letting, you know, as we read the word, we're listening for what the Lord is saying to us. I don't do it to be religious, and I don't do it to set an example for you. I do it to get things done. Like, here's the thing is the Lord is saying to us in John chapter 15, it is impossible to bear fruit apart from me. Now, we can make things happen. We can do some stuff. We, it's not saying that it's impossible to be successful. It's saying it's impossible to bear fruit. And he talks about this fruit, and he says fruit that will last. And so he's talking about eternal things that will happen. It is impossible to accomplish the eternal without sitting and abiding with the Lord. Now, here's what I want you to do is I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. I want to show you something. Verse 9 says... No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Come on, man. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, this this is a classic funeral passage. Somebody dies, you want to encourage them, you say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has entered into the comprehension of a human what God has prepared for those who love him. That's not totally off. Like, we know that it's going to be great when we get there there, then and there. That's not what's being said here. Watch this. Verse 10. But, everybody say but. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Nobody can comprehend this. No eye has seen it. No mind can conceive of it. Nobody can come up with it. But God has revealed it to who? To us. By how? His spirit. What does the spirit do? The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit's Uh, accept the man's spirit within him. What's that mean? Well, would it mean something like this? None of you know me like I know me. Like, I can come in on Sunday morning and you would never know whether or not I felt like preaching or not. But I would know on the inside, but nobody knows that except the spirit within me because my spirit knows all about me. And so you wouldn't know how I felt about whether or not I wanted to preach on a Sunday morning unless I told you, hey, I don't feel like preaching today. Now, there's a human being that knows me better than any human being on the planet, and she's downstairs with Kids City today. But she doesn't know everything about me. There are some times that I deal with pressure from the church. I find out things that I protect from her. I don't even want her to have to bear the burden of what I'm feeling. She doesn't know everything that's going on inside of me because she Like, the only thing that knows that is my spirit that is within me. It is the spirit of man. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. You know the people that are sitting around you today don't know everything about you. Your spirit on the inside knows everything about you. Now watch what Paul says. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. 
Like nobody, nobody knows everything about God except the Spirit of God himself. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. You, know, you see what I'm talking about here? You see what's going on in the pages of Scripture? This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because why, underline this, they are spiritually discerned. The man who doesn't have the Spirit of God can never get anything that we're talking about here because these things come from the recognition of the Spirit of God who lives in us, showing us and teaching us these things. The spiritual man... I want to be a spiritual man, Lord. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. Like I'm able to make judgments about all things if I am a spiritual man. But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. So another man can't make a judgment about me if he does not have the Spirit of God inside of him. This is just a human judgment. And what I'm making judgment with is the Spirit of God. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we, friends, have the mind of Christ. That's like, how did Nehemiah know? He was walking with God. How do you know when you're supposed to like, somebody's being critical of you and you just Nehemiah 6 8 and move on down the road or should you deal with it? You got to know what Nehemiah knew. You got to be able to sit with the Lord. You got to be able to abide with him. Here's the big idea. The Lord shows us stuff. <laughs> like the Lord shows us stuff. When we sit with him and he, we abide with him, he shows us things through this gift called discernment. It is a spiritual gift that comes from the Spirit of God living in me, helping me to recognize things that God wants me to recognize. And why would God do that? Because God has a plan for me to prosper me, not to harm me, to give me a hope and a future when my mind is set on mission to accomplish the will of God and divine vision intersects with my life and I'm on mission for Him. Then God wants to show me stuff. Why? So I can get it done for Him. What's my mission? To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The reason it is so hard for us to sit with the Lord is because the devil keeps us so distracted that we don't feel like we have enough time. So God is never able to show us stuff. So we look like everybody else in the world. We can't make spiritual judgments because we're not sitting with the spiritual God who will help us make those spiritual judgments and use discernment to make the right decisions in our lives. Should I take this job? Should I take this promotion? Should I marry this man? Should I be dating this person? How do you know if you're not sitting with the Lord? You don't. And that's why there are so many people who call themselves Christians that don't look like anything different than the rest of the world. They never develop the ability to sit with the Lord and let God show him or her stuff. We must come to know the value of discernment. It goes like, like man, I, I could tell you story after story after story after story. 
one time when, again, Abby and I are young, early 30s. The church is just like moving. It's got movement happening in it. And we're driving away from the church on a Wednesday evening. And, and I tell Abby, I say, like, man, I can feel evil lurking. Like, I feel it, Abby. Like, like I can feel it. You need to prepare yourself. You need to, you need to stay prayed up. Like, I can feel the enemy. He is lurking in our midst because of the way God is moving. And I didn't know, like, all I knew is something was going down. And I went into work the next morning, and one of my staff members comes in and says, man, I, 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 need, to, I need to talk to you. My spouse has committed adultery on me. And they're on staff of the church. And so all of a sudden, all of this movement and momentum that we have, boom, we're right in the midst of having to navigate through this. But the Lord prepared me for that. Like when it happened, I, like the first thing, like you hear news like that and you, do, you don't know what you're doing. You're a young guy. You're trying to pastor a church of people. You don't know what do you do next. Well, I was so confident that the Lord would show us and, and, and because he had already prepared me for that moment. Man, there's, I can tell you story after story after story how God has prepared me. And I knew what people, not exactly what they were going to say, but generally like an idea, I was prepared for what was coming at me. Now, now, how does that happen? Sitting with the Lord. Like God shows us stuff. And so my challenge for you this week is sit with the Lord and let him show you some stuff, man. This, if, if you're not getting that from the Lord, guess what is not happening? John 15, you're not producing fruit. And like your faith it's like, and I'm not saying this to make a judgment. I'm saying this to arm you. It's just no fun. It's no fun to be a Christian without God speaking to you and showing you some stuff. It's dead faith, and it doesn't do any work, and it's not the way we're designed to live. We are designed to be in fellowship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God using his word and people around us and our time spent with him that he shows us some stuff and we're able to listen, we're able to hear, and we're able to move forward. And if we're not doing that, guess what? We're religious people because everything I'm talking about is a relationship. And if we're just going to church and we're leaving out all of that stuff, we're just in religion. And our mission as a church, is to help people follow Jesus, not be religious. So I, I want to encourage you today, as Brent sings this song, and, and we take some time to, to, to reflect. Here, you know, maybe we do something a little different today. Would you just use the, if, if you've got a need in your life that you want to pray about, let's just use these stairs in the front of the stage as an altar. And maybe you want to come and just pray and lay something before the Lord. They're open to you. While Brent is, is singing, just come and kneel and pray. And if you have something specific that you want me to pray for you about, I'll be sitting right here. I'd be more than happy to lay hands on you as your pastor and pray for you. But during this song, if you, if you feel a need to come forward and pray, you do that. And if, if you want to pray right in your chair, that's fine. But maybe today you just you feel a little bit more of a tug that you want to nail something down with the Lord. And so the, this, this front of the stage is going to serve as our altar today, and I invite you to come. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.